This is Orson Welles on the Air, featuring the old-time radio performances of the legendary Orson Welles. Welcome back to Orson Welles on the Air. This time we'll hear Orson on Cavalcade of America, a series that debuted over CBS stations in 1935. It would move to NBC, where it stayed for most of its run. It aired until 1953. The story today is titled, The Great Man Votes. This one first aired December 15th, 1941. Starring Orson Welles in The Great Man Votes, The Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. is Orson Welles. This week in America, we're celebrating the 150th anniversary of our charter of human liberties, the Bill of Rights. And so we've chosen as our story that truly fine archaeo picture, The Great Man Votes. The story of a little man. A little man who, while destiny smiled, became a great man because of his country and the liberties and rights he had in his country. And because he understood the full value of those liberties and rights in terms of human dignity and human hope. The time of this story is any time. The place, America, and any large city in America. The scene is a dingy little frame house jammed in amongst the tall buildings of the city's downtown district. And in the parlor... An obscure American citizen named Gregory Vance is talking with his two grandchildren. You leave Florivus to Miss Euscohodibus repulent. Now, Donald Ainsley Vance, your attempt to tell me what Caesar got out of his expedition to Britain. Uh, he got pushed around by the pickets and the Scots. No, 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 not the pickets and the Scots. The pickets and the Scots. Grandpa, it's almost time he would work, isn't it? Yes, I fear it is, even though time for both you young scamps to be abed. Oh, twins of my rheumatism, Donald. If only there were a drop of my medicine about Your medicine? You mean that whiskey. Not tonight. It's time for you to go to work. Mm. Oh, my little Florence Nightingale. I suppose you're right. Uh, Grandpa. Huh? Would you mind very much? I mean, what would you do if you were fired from your job? Joan, since your parents died and I resigned from the faculty of Harvard, I've lost many jobs, but... If Bradley fired me from that night watchman's job, it'd be, by all odds, the worst job I'd ever lost. But what would you do? Well, we can worry about that when it happens, Joan. <laughs> You're as practical as your mother was. Don't worry so much. Graham, won't you maybe go to the Ainsley's? Ainsley's? Those well-stuffed, cloth-headed lumps of pomposity. Just because by the unfortunate accident of birth they happen to be relatives. Besides, why should you think of my getting fired? Well, just don't let Iron Hat McCarty see you. Iron Hat McCarty? What has that demagogue to do with my job? Well, Iron Hat McCarty is the boss of this ward. Boss? He, he can do anything he likes in this ward. Now, do you rascals mean to say that you winged a uh, brickbat at Iron Hat McCarty? Well... Not exactly. Mm. You see, Iron 
that's Kid Daisy. And we didn't throw a rock at him. We pushed him into a tub of cement. I can't say that I approve, but on the other hand, I can't find it in my heart. Uh, uh, But why did you find such drastic action necessary? Well, he was calling names. Calling names? Calling who names? You. Me? He called you a drunken old bum. Ah, defending the family honor. You don't think your granddaddy is a drunken old bummer? You only drink a quart a day. Certainly. That's right. Only a quart a day. So, so if you're fired tonight, you'll know why. I defy the demagogue. I'm off to work. Where is my cane? I'll make a sword of it and duel McCarty to the death. Lay on, McCarty, and damn be every member of your party. Evening to you, Iron Hat. Evening, Gilling. Evening. Good evening to you, Brad. I trust you'll be showing up at the polls to register your vote for the administration as usual tomorrow, Brad. You know me, Iron Hat. The straight ticket. Get to the point, McCarthy. Yes, yes. A meeting of the city leaders awaits me, Brad. Therefore, I will speak briefly. You'll be in need of a new night watchman here tonight. I've got a watchman. Gregory Van. Um... I'm not sure he's up to his responsibilities, Brad, if you follow me. I ain't had any kicks on Vance's work. His kids beat up Iron Hat's Davy, and Maggie McCarthy wants him fired. Any kids are likely to knock each other around, Iron Hat. I don't see Mr. why... Mr. Bradley, that's an attitude unworthy of you. Especially considering that you're clogging the public streets with the building materials. It's been a sad time I've had keeping the street commissioner off of you. Uh, your pleasure is my pleasure, Mr. McCarthy. That's more the spirit, Brad. I'll find your worthy replacement for Vance just as soon as I get back from my meeting with these important party leaders. Ah, McCarthy, sir, you did come. Go on, get to your meeting. So it's you, your hoodlum's grandfather. You vulture. Fly to your roost. Maybe you'll find some more bones to pick. Get along with you before I tread on the tail of your coat. Come on, Iron Hat, get in the car. You know you've got a glass jar. If I didn't have to attend an important party meeting, but I'll take that up with your father, you, you bog potter, you... Sorry, Vance, but I have to sign you off. Not that I want to. No, the demagogue has spoken. You're only the echo. McCarthy goes to an important meeting, and I go to the ranks of the unemployed. Seek semper gloria, Mundi. Who's handling the first ward this year? Iron Hat McCarty. Is McCarty of the first ward present? I can only say, gentlemen, that I'm annoyed by this pinhead's tardiness on the eve of so important an election. An election which, if we are victorious, may well prove to be the forerunner of a national victory for our great party. Charlie Dale, our publicity chief, will explain our plan of attack. Okay, chief. Boys, you know the old saying, as Maine goes, so goes the nation. Now get this. You've got a Maine right here in your own city. Since 1830, the 13th precinct of the first ward has always voted unanimous for the old party. Nine out of ten times, the rest of the precincts have fallen over each other, climbing on the bandwagon of the good old 13th. Now here's what you do. 
Get your voters of the 13th precinct pledged. Get them all together before the polls open. Organize a parade. March them to the polls in a body under the banners of the old party. That way we prove they're voting for us. We splash it in the early morning headlines. The rest of the precincts fall in line. And your election is in the bank. Great stunt, Charlie. Great stunt. The 13th is one of McCarthy's precincts. Has Peter McCarthy been heard from? Here, sir. I was delayed in the pursuit of my duty, sir. I heard what you said, sir. And a splendid lot of voters I have for you. What? But? But what, McCarty? But if you gentlemen knew my ward as well as I do, you'd be realizing that my 13th precinct is a very unique precinct indeed. Can you promise a unanimous vote? Speak up, McCarty. How many votes are there in the 13th? Well, at times there are a great many, sir, at noontime. But they only work there in the shops and the offices. So we haven't as many registered voters as previous. Out with it, McCarty. How many? Get to the point, McCarty. How many? One. <laughs> McCarty, you know this fellow? Like, uh, like a brother, sir. That's good. Because if you fail to pledge his votes, McCarty, you're through, finished, washed up. Is that clear? You know your job. Yes, sir. To vote him unanimous. Great. Tomorrow, one stalwart voter will uphold the traditions of our pioneering forefather single-handed. He will... McCarty, what's his name? Uh, Gregory Vance. The Great Man Votes, starring Orson Welles on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. As our play continues, we find Gregory Vance returning home from the job that he has just lost. Salutations, my gladiators. Are you awake? Oh, is the morning, Gregory? No, not morning yet, no. I uh, got off a little early. Mr. Bradley thought it'd be nice if I could spend a little more time with both of you. You were fired like we said you'd oh. be. That's why you're home. As you said I would be like is a preposition, not a conjunction, Donald Ainsley Vance. Well, anyways, you were fired. Yes, as you say, fired I am. But why so glum? See here now, if you to expect to be punished for handing a McCarthy a beating, you'll be disappointed. We wish you would spank us, Grandpa. We'd feel better about going away. Who said anything about going away? The Ainsleys. The Ainsleys? When you went to work, we ran away up to Park Avenue to look for them. Because we were scared of Iron Hat. And they brought us home in a great big car. And they said they were coming back and bring some people with them. Yes, I think I see. You'd much rather live here than on Park Avenue, wouldn't you? Yes, Graham. Even if Uncle Chester did say I could have a pony. Oh, I love you lots more than any old pony. Thank you, boy. Thank you. Of course... It is nice on Park Avenue. If you live there, Grant, you might do some of those big things you used to talk What's about. What's that to do with it? We get along all right here, don't we? It's a nice house, comparatively speaking. Anyway, we have plenty to eat and wear. Not any too stylish, perhaps, but... Well, at least we've never been hungry, have we? No, Grant. Then you're both quite happy about everything, aren't you? Yes, Grandpa. If you oh, are. I'm not kidding anybody but myself. Everything's all right, Gramp. We're not kicking. It's just that 
that the other kids are so proud of their families, and we know they are worth two pins compared to you. Only they don't appreciate you around here. Joan, it's been a long time since anybody took the trouble to show me myself. Just for a minute there, I had the feeling you were your mother. To see me now. I wonder what she'd think. She'd think you could still be a great man if you wanted to. Yes. That's like her. I'm not sure it's not right. You know, I've had a funny feeling all evening that destiny is coming back from a long vacation. Destiny. Donald, it's the angry. Remember, united we stand. Come in. Good evening to you, Mr. Vance. Ah, the demagogue. Begging your pardon, Mr. Vance, the Samaritan. I was your humble servant, Aloysius Francis Xavier McCartney. I must say it's extremely difficult to anticipate your chameleon whimsies. I forgive you, Mr. Vance. Our family ties. The grandfather and the little ones with the heart. Oh, perhaps I've misjudged you, McCarthy. What people think of me don't matter. As long as they've an eye for the grand works of the party. Um, what's your feelings about that, Mr. Vance? Uh, I'd hate to tell you with the children in the room. It was the loss of your job that's put the rank in your heart. You'll feel different when... I get it off my chest at the polls tomorrow, yes. Wait till I tell you why you were done out of that miserable job. It was beneath you, Mr. Vance. The fact has come recent to my attention that you were once an educator at Harvard College. True, though somewhat beside the point. Says I, such a great man, must find his place in our educational system. You mean there might be a job of some kind? A position, Mr. Vance. The halls of learning would take on a new aroma just from your presence. Uh, <clears throat> how would a janitor's position strike oh, you? Oh, Mr. McCarthy, I'd like nothing better. Wait a minute, Grant. Janitors aren't so great. But I need the job. Yeah, and I bet Mr. Ironhat McCarty needs your vote. Ah, oh, the vote is nothing in itself, that. But the party sort of feels, uh, well, it's dead set on enlisting your intellectual support. Now, if it's a teacher you oh, want to be... Nah, I... that's for ladies teaching. Uh-huh. Well, I, I was about to say, um, we, we might use your right handily on the school board. Oh, Mr. McCarty, all I can... Hold it, Grant. Uh... Superintendent. Huh? What's that, Johnny? Oh, second rater. Oh, please, please. Commissioner of Education, and that's the last offer. If the job's good enough for the mayor's brother-in-law, it's good enough for you. Please. Take it, Grandpa. And that's the pearl in your oyster, Mr. Vance. Huh. If you'll vote the straight ticket. I always vote the straight ticket. Fine, fine. I'll have a car for you in the morning. A pleasant evening to you. And to you, Mr. McCarthy. You're in, Grant. You're in. I was afraid the minute you'd spoil. No, there's nothing to it. I can't possibly make a bargain with this man. But you said you always voted a straight ticket. So I do, but not McCarthy's ticket. The casting of a vote is the casting of a belief, son. Someday you'll know that a man's vote is not something to be bought and sold. Man's vote is a man's faith in the future, in the future of his children and their children after them. It doesn't look like much of a future for us right now. Gee, Gramp, don't let us down. Oh, what's that? Well, I, I mean... No, by Jupiter, I won't let you down. I told McCarty I'd vote the straight ticket and I'll vote the straight ticket. Oh, we knew you'd come through. He always said so. Of course, Gramp, you look swell riding in an automobile. Oh, I can take a hint. Go heat up an iron. I'll even press my pants. I'll put on a clean shirt and my other one. 
Gildley's. So it is. Oh, welcome, Phoebe. Uh, you always walk in like that. Gregory Vance, you... You renegade. And I smell liquor here. Well, Phoebe, years haven't changed you much. They couldn't. Hello, Chester. This is my attorney, Gregory. We're going to court in the morning with a paper to give us legal guardianship over these unfortunate children. It's obvious they're not getting a proper bringing up. A matter of fact, I just heard that Vance has been fired from his job. Has no visible means of support for the children. It'll be an open and shut case. Why don't you ask the children where they'd rather be brought up, Chester? We'll let the court decide that, Gregory. So far, so good, my benevolent Butinsky. Merely add to your report that I've just obtained an important and highly lucrative position. And you have your records complete. Uh, delusions, I should think, Mr. Ainsley. Possibly drunk. Oh, how are you think? As of tonight, I'm the new commissioner of schools. And if you don't believe me, just ask Iron Hat McCarty. So McCarty's up to his old tricks, eh? Uh, that cheap ward healer couldn't deliver a garbage collector's job. Come, Miss Ainsley, Mr. Ainsley. Mm. My clients will call for Joan and Donald in the morning, Mr. Vance. Grant, does that mean that it was all baloney, what Iron Hat said? Large... A succulent slices, I'm afraid. Ah! Ah, so there you are. Thank heaven. I am Hat McCarthy. I, I am fully aware that what you said last night cannot be held against you. At the same time, Iron Hat, I wish to point out... Never mind what I said last night. You're late for the parade. You're keeping the mayor waiting right now. Parade? The parade to the polls in your honor. Indeed. Oh, seems... Seems that again I, I have misjudged you, McCarthy. <laughs> Dear fellow, you realize that the polls are directly across the street. It doesn't matter where they are. There's got to be a parade. Come along now with you into the mayor's car with you. Tell the band to start playing. Here you are. Meet his honor. Your honor, this is Gregory Vance. Oh, uh, yes. All right, get in the you car with you, kids. The parade has got to start. Oh, boy, Graf. Now, if Iron Hat comes through with that commissioner's uh, job... See here, McCarthy, is it true that uh, you... Ah, just to yourself, sir, disturbing the jeweled movements of your mind with such... Now, stop interrupting. If you've made promises to Vance that can't be fulfilled... Then I guess Grandpa will know how to vote, won't you, Grant? And it'll be in all the papers how he voted. Uh, oh, uh, no, 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 no. Promises must be fulfilled. Promises in their, uh, uh, a small way, just like planks in our platform. <clears throat> Isn't it, uh, true that the little... Planks are more substantial if um, reinforced by the written word. Uh, oh, uh, well, give me your pen, McCarthy. Yes, pen? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And now you know where you stand, Mr. Vance. Thank you. That is guilt Ed. Hmm. But isn't some onlooker got a sign up? Uh, witness, uh, yours is the honor, McCarthy. But I, I, uh, well, all, all right. There. There you Thank are. you. Well, here we are, around the block. And back at the polls. Ah, well, uh, we'll be waiting, Mr. Bats. Your name, please? Uh, Gregory Vance. 
Sign here, please. The uh, booth right over there, please. Thank you. Conquered. That's Caesar. No, son, that's Gregory Vance. The scrubbiest Roman of them all. <laughs> Gregory Vance. Magnified for a brief moment by a kind destiny in a kind land where greatness is within the people, not within a man. A people and their faith in each other where any man who calls himself great is only looking at his shadow on the shoulders of those who've lifted him up. On election day, his own feet carry him. On this day, the so-called great walk side by side with the shoulders that have held him high. Side by side the strongest and the least. And those we sometimes call down and out are equal the voting booth. Tomorrow I'll be quite forgotten. A bit of shadow glory who, like the rest of you, left his mark only in a ballot box. I'll be no less a part of that total greatness. Because being even the least in a land where strength is so generous is greatness in itself. And as for faith, I know I shall never lack for that. My brother-in-law, Mr. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, well, how do you do? Now, if you'd excuse me, uh, Commissioner. Commissioner? Commissioner of Education, Chester. <laughs> As I mentioned last night. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Well, uh, thank you, and a happy good day to you, uh, Commissioner. Uh, good <laughs> you day. must excuse me. I have a thousand other duties to perform. I'm sure you have. Good day, Chester. Nice to have seen you. Commissioner of Education? Oh, gee, Grant. You're sure going to be a big man when you take over that job. Well, Joan... <laughs> I wouldn't count on it too heavily. Oh, but, Grant, Mayor said... Yes, charming fellow, the mayor. <laughs> you know, I'm rather sorry now I didn't vote for him. <laughs> Thank you, Orson Welles. Ladies and gentlemen, in a few moments, Mr. Wells will return to the microphone. But first, Gain Whitman has some interesting information. Every child in school knows the blessings that are guaranteed us by the Bill of Rights. Every American worthy of the name, at some time or other, has counted them for the blessings they are. When we tick them off one by one, we are reciting battles won down the long centuries of the struggle toward freedom. Think of them now. 
You are blessed by the declaration of brave men who lived and endured before you with the right to worship your God as you choose. You are guaranteed free speech and a free press in a world in which today men have been tortured, imprisoned, hanged, and shot for speaking their honest minds. You have the right to assemble peaceably with your friends, your neighbors, and petition your government. You reserve the right to bear arms for the common defense. Without due process of law, no one may deprive you of your property, your liberty, your life. You have the right to a public trial before an impartial jury. No cruel or unusual punishment may be inflicted on you. And today, many of our fellow men beyond our shores are meeting with horribly cruel and unusual punishments. Perhaps the most liberal, the most American amendment of them all, is the one that says these rights and the others granted do not mean you have no further rights. Count your ten blessings, America, on the ten fingers of your hands. Always men have known the ideal of liberty. The Bill of Rights made part of that ideal of fact, made men equal before the law. But it's steam and electricity and the mass production America introduced to the world that have provided us with enough food and clothing to go around, and so made the ideal a real possibility for the first time in history. There have always been two kinds of people on this earth of ours, the man of faith and the doubting Thomas. The doubting Thomas says things will always be the way they are. They'll never be better. The doubting Thomas says that women don't need any more washing machines, that there aren't going to be any more inventions, that we've reached the top. Men of faith and courage, on the contrary, know that while our present system is the most productive the world has known, it hasn't even begun to produce what it can. DuPont chemists have every reason to believe, for instance, that the present flow of new products represented by, say, nylon and neoprene is the merest trickle. Tomorrow, the trickle can be a river. Where today, chemistry is bringing us a few new plastics and fibers, tomorrow it can bring us hundreds, thousands of new products of which today nobody so much as dreams. Under the freedoms of the Bill of Rights, America will continue to create wealth known to no other nation, will continue production surpassed by no other nation. And to that future wealth and production as his share, the DuPont chemist will continue to add his better things for better living through chemistry. And now it is my pleasure to introduce to you again our star of the evening, Orson Welles. Thanks, John. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I used to be one of the original cavalcade players a few years ago. I just want to say that it's a pleasure to be here again. I only hope that those of the cavalcade audience who remember me enjoyed our play tonight as much as I enjoyed being in it. Thanks, Orson. I'm sure they did. See, why don't you just carry on from here? You know your way around on cavalcade. I most certainly ought to. I know that at this point, you are supposed to announce next week's show. Well, why can't you do it? Very well, John. I shan't quarrel with you on such an auspicious occasion. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, Cavalcade will present an old favorite of mine and of every theater and moviegoer in America. It's Mark Conley's reverent and beautiful play, The Green Pastures. Cavalcade did it last year at the Christmas season... And because of the enthusiastic response of the listening audience, it seemed appropriate that they should do it again at Christmas time this year. I agree. I'll be listening myself. 
I hope you will, too. On tonight's program, Orson Welles appeared through the courtesy of Lady Esther and with Ray Collins by courtesy of RKO Pictures, where Mr. Welles is producing The Magnificent Ambersons. The orchestra and the original musical score were composed and directed by Robert Armbruster. Our play was adapted for radio by Peter Lyon. Every American citizen must become a partner with his government in order to push our war efforts to a victorious conclusion. We are in a war. We've got to fight it and finance it. It's going to cost billions and billions of dollars to guarantee victory for our democracy. Buy United States defense bonds and stamps regularly, as many as you can. Get them at your bank, post office, or savings and loan association. Don't forget next week, Cavalcade presents The Green Pastures with many of the original cast and the Hall Johnson Choir. On the Cavalcade of America, your announcer is John Heaston sending best wishes from DuPont. That's the show for this week. I'll be back soon with more Orson Welles. In the meantime, you can hear more from this podcast, find links to all the other shows and everything else Relic Radio at the website relicradio.com. There's also a donate button there if you'd like to help support this and all the shows. Thanks to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. Talk again soon with another episode of Orson Welles on the air. Orson Welles on the air is produced by and for RelicRadio.com. Rebroadcast of this show without permission is strictly prohibited.